Hello everyone. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be with you all uh, this morning for myself, since I'm based in Paris, uh, to join the monthly connective connect all call and actually the first one of the year. Uh, so welcome. My name is Sabrina Bouhawi and uh, today with my four accomplices, uh, we are going to explore the theme of leadership uh, and more specifically what next stage leadership means. Uh, but before we dive into the topic for an hour, we will have 45 minutes uh, conversation with uh, our panelists and 15 minutes Q&A uh, with uh, you, with the audience. Um, I let's first start to uh, let's first start and discover our panelists, um, and I'm gonna ask each of you, uh, Sue, Vijay, Raj, Kelly, um, to um, tell us a little bit more about yourself, who you are, uh, which company you're working with, and um, briefly, what's what's actually your connection with uh, leadership. Yeah, sure. Sure, yeah. Afternoon or good evening, depending on what part of the world you're dialing in from. My name is Sue Stevens, and I'm dialing in from Dublin this morning, 7 a.m. I work for LinkedIn, and I lead a team of customer success managers for the enterprise market within LinkedIn. Now, my particular topic or connection to the topic is I am a Generation Y leader myself, and I fundamentally believe in flipping leadership from what traditionally is a pyramid into a very flat pancake. And I think having a background where I'm originally from the Netherlands, I've first-handed experience um, the benefits of a very flat organization and what it really do to get the most out of people when you give them autonomy. Thank you. Raj, do you want to, to go next? Sure. Thanks, Sabrina, and, and great to be here uh, on the, in, the, in the forum today. My name is Raj. My full name is uh, a lot longer. I cut it short to Raj. Um, actually, uh, one of the few people that has a first name uh, longer than the surname uh, is probably me. Um, I, I work for Amazon. I lead the HR for uh, APAC um, uh, in Amazon. I'm based in uh, Bangalore, uh, India, and right now I'm joining the call from uh, Chennai Madras that I'm here on, on a work trip. Uh, my connection to uh, leading people is both uh, leading uh, my own teams as well as uh, helping support uh, leader of leaders uh, that are based across uh, the region. And uh, Amazon has uh, uh, different types of uh, workforce, uh, starting with the technologists to those that work in our fulfillment uh, centers. And uh, previous to Amazon, I used to work for GE for about 12 years. And again, uh, my role was basically helping leaders uh, lead uh, and uh, lead my own teams. What about you, Kelly? Yes, hi everyone. Uh, Kelly Egan. I'm dialing into this from Melbourne, Australia, and it's 6 p.m. here, so a good time in the middle of summer. Uh, I'm actually a HR generalist, so I've had over 20 years in the HR industry. Uh, my passion is really about building workplace cultures where people can do the best work of their life. And through 
a lot of those journalist activities, I've had a lot of opportunities to work for companies and by myself, very much focused on leadership development uh, and building those great cultures. I've more recently been working with startups and some growing fast-paced tech companies, San Francisco and Australia. Uh, and one company is Atlassian that I spent five years with, and they've been known to be the great place to work in Australia and in Europe and in the US in the top five. Uh, and a lot of that is definitely around building that sort of leadership capability and, and great cultures. And I'm currently working with a smaller company or one or two, and they're about improving education in Australia and just seeing how some of those leaders are adapting, evolving and growing and the scaling required, um, I find quite fascinating. So that's sort of my connection to this topic. Thank you. And uh, Vijay? Hi, everyone. I'm dialing in from Geneva in Switzerland. So I work for the World Economic Forum and I lead the forum members community at the World Economic Forum, which is a group of 300 uh, emerging multinationals operating out of 60 different countries. And prior to this, I was the deputy head of the Global Shapers community, which is one of the biggest um, millennial community in the world, um, operating out of um, 181 countries with 7,000 young people in the age of 20 to 29. I also have experience in management consulting, startups, and even computer animation. And my connection to leadership, it just starts um, from your work, from family, from your community. So uh, I, I, have, I have touched upon and solved um, issues across all these uh, spaces. And I, I still keep exploring this question of uh, leadership. I, I'm not convinced by any of the current uh, models that are out there. I'm writing my own book called Leadership as a space based on a TED talk, um, TEDx talk that I gave a couple of years ago. Very excited to be here in this conversation with uh, my fellow panelists. Thank you, Vijay. Uh, really interesting. Um, and I'm gonna close and that round with uh, my own presentation. So everybody knows uh, about everybody <laughs> in this uh, uh, panel. So my name again is Sabrina and I'm a former partner uh, at Holacracy One, the American management consultancy that uh, spearheaded the development of Holacracy, uh, which is a self-management practice model for organizations. And while I was working there, um, I really cultivated a fascination for um, how the challenge of change to change is conceived. And I quickly realized that um, our uh, approach to change was, was either and often uh, limited or mistaken. So I decided to uh, jump into a new adventure, dove really deep into neuroscience, uh, developmental psychology, uh, which is uh, the science that studies the adult development and cognitive linguistics to find some kind of answer and better understand what was happening uh, when I was uh, at my clients. And today, uh, with the company I founded two years ago, I help and coach uh, leaders, uh, teams, organizations to um, develop their capacity to better handle complexity, uncertainty, ambiguity, uh, because I think it's a real challenge and also um, uh, a big strength to have. It's not only an option for organization, uh, it's also, I think, a, a real um, 
a prerequisite uh, for any organization that wants to stay competitive uh, in the market. So that's my uh, background. And um, I'm going to uh, continue exploring a little bit with um, my accomplice um, and ask them the first question around um, um, their intimacy with leadership. And I, I am curious actually to know from each of you, um, can, could you share with us um, a situation of a situation or a person who has had a, a, a a big, a pretty big impact um, on you as a leader, and um, why? Why can you explain us why and how did that was was that impactful for you? Who wants to jump in? Who is inspired? I can. I can go first. Sure. Uh, this is Vijay. So for, for me, um, like when when I was a kid, of course, uh, growing up in a small town in India. Uh, we have always been told uh, the story of uh, Gandhi um, and watching, um, uh, watching and reading about uh, Gandhi is, is one inspiration. But uh, I will not name a person, but rather a country that inspired me uh, when I think of leadership is uh, Japan. Uh, so I studied in Japan. Uh, so when I, when I went to Japan, I was asking like just how I grew up with my uh, notions of who a leader is and how heavily I was inspired by Gandhi. And I go and ask uh, my Japanese friends when I was studying there, I was asking like, what is, um, who, who is the guy like the Gandhi equivalent of Japan, who transformed Japan uh, from where it was to where it is now? And uh, there, was, there was nobody was giving me any answer. And um, there was no single person out there. And I, I tried over a couple of uh, years trying to figure out who is that one person who was actually responsible for the transformation of Japan. And that, uh, finally, I ended up realizing that the answer is every Japanese. And it's, it's, not, it's not one um, hero like uh, Gandhi or Nelson Mandela or uh, Lee Kuan Yew who kind of transformed uh, this country, but rather the whole uh, space does something to the people. And that actually um, inspired me. So from, I kind of shifted from my uh, individual inspiration that I got heavily from uh, Gandhi and his uh, teachings to one of uh, the space where like you... Uh, it, it is the space that changes behavior of people. And if you really want to instill certain um, uh, uh, changes in people, then uh, rather we work on the context and the space in which those people come together. And so for me, my biggest inspiration in um, the last 10 years around leadership is um, uh, countries and spaces, and the primary one being uh, Japan. Thank you, Vijay. I want to step, step up next. I can go next if that's okay, Sabrina. Um, you know, I'm, um, I'm, I'm very excited right now as I'm speaking, not because I'm, I'm on this panel, but because I'm uh, in the school that I graduated from. And um, I uh, was, and I'm, I'm visiting the school after 29 years since I graduated. And it's, it's a pity I, I never found the time um, or they never invited me to be back here. And uh, I, was, I was telling a bunch of students that I was teaching a class just before this, um, how excited it was, um, you know, how excited I was to, to be back here. But uh, the person that uh, probably inspired me the most was, uh, and I do believe that uh, trust plays a big part in it. And, and uh, Vijay said about Gandhi, and, and we are all very familiar with Gandhi. For me, it was uh, um, when I graduated from the school, which I'm sitting now, and 
and actually sitting in the principal's office because there was no other place to take this call from. And he said, when you use my office and I'll step out. And I said, okay, not bad. Um, and um, um, so uh, right out of school, I, I went to work for Unilever. And, um, and, and, and those days in, in, um, when, I, when I started working a uh, hundred years ago, uh, you know, you had to work in a, in a manufacturing plant um, in, to be, a, to be um, the so-called uh, uh, industrial relations expert. And, um, and, and I went in there, I, I started with Unilever and, and I was not in a manufacturing plant. So I went to my boss and I said, and I came here to actually go in a work in a factory and not in a sales environment. And uh, he said, okay, uh, in the near future, uh, we'll get you something. And the next week he called me and he said, would you go to this plant in uh, central India, a city called Hyderabad. And uh, the plant was uh, in the, and it was a hundred year old plant. And uh, I was probably the youngest personnel manager they would call and, and Kelly would probably recognize the term um, and I took over from someone who was twice my age and I was I don't know 24 or something 23 24 and this person um, was was retiring and he was 58 and and when I went there I knew nobody wanted the job and I kind of put my hand up and I got it and two days time something happened and we had to shut the factory down and uh, there was mayhem and uh, we had to go all across to the unions, to the local government and all of those. And uh, we had to shut the plant down. And, and, uh, and I still remember my boss calling me and, and, and I, was, I was almost apologetic. You know, he, he actually, when, when I took the job, he told me, you know what, we want you, go, we want you to go there and change the culture uh, from a, an activist oriented one to those that of uh, development. And I shut it down in four days time. I was almost apologetic and he said, you know what, this had to happen someday, Raj. And it, it just so happened, you're there when this happens and let's see what we can do. What I, what I learned from him was that, you know, you, you trust the person you, you entrust the role with and, um, and, and then just work around and make sure things get better. And, and as, it, as, it, as I just said, it, things got better in about two months time. And uh, this uh, manager of mine, uh, his name is Praveen Dewey, who's now retired and leads a peaceful life. And he was there when we were reopening the plant. And he was the one that was doing a lot of work um, uh, in the background. And uh, when we were opening, he said, Raj, you need to go and speak because you're the one that did it. And I said, no, I didn't, you did it. But he said, you know, you should. And, and one thing I learned was, you know, um, when, you're the, when you're the manager uh, and if something goes right, you give the credit to the person who did it. And when something doesn't go right, you, you take the debit for it. Thank you for the story, Raj. Really inspiring. Who wants to go next? I can go if you like. Sure, Kelly. Uh, the person that comes to mind for me is uh, a senior leader that I worked with at Atlassian. And I've worked with him for probably about four years. And initially it was, it was a challenge to, he was very high, seen as a big high performer, amazing leader. And so you start to sort of initially doubt yourself thinking, gee, am I up to working for this particular leader? And whether it's a gender concern or not, and Sue, I'm interested in your thoughts. Sometimes you can kind of doubt yourself when you're 
throwing yourself into a new opportunity. It's a new role, you've got new deliverables, new expectations, a new leader. And you may sort of feel a little bit anxious um, at times, which I certainly did. And he often would express more belief in me than I may in myself, which I found completely inspiring. And his ability to kind of recognize your efforts, you know, make you sort of encourage you to have belief in yourself was, um, was really powerful. I think he was also someone that I saw not only was a high performer, ridiculously intelligent, but really understood and took the time to get to know people. And he would always sort of, even though he was, he had a lot of personal challenges growing up and some health concerns, having a, a heart transplant at a young age. So in a way he was kind of lucky to be alive. So he's always had this battling focus about himself, which is just um, inspiring in itself. Not only did he work crazy hours to get the job done that he did, he was also like in Ironman events, triathlons, he'd be up at five, like exercising, but then leaving at four and actually role modeling that, saying, you know, life isn't just about work. There's so much more to it, live it. So sending those positive messages as well. He then went to Cambodia for a volunteer program and spent a lot of time with the children there in the Room to Read Foundation and came back and shared his stories with the whole company. And he is someone that has a strong empathy. So when he started sharing the story, he was so authentic. He basically got really emotional in sharing the story. And it's a really memorable experience I have of him. And I was just like, this is like just such a vulnerable, empathetic, amazing leader that you just don't see on a frequent basis, you know, and someone who's that good at what they do, but there's so many different layers to them that I just was really fortunate to work with him. I learned so much from him. He would push and challenge me and, you know, give you harsh feedback if you needed it, give you recognition when you needed it as well. So yeah, I just found it. He's definitely someone that's inspired me over time. Thank you, Kelly. What about you, Sue? Yeah, beautiful. So in order to answer that question, I'm going to go back to where it all began for me uh, in very modest areas. I was raised by my mom and my grandmother. And a quote that really strongly resonates is, talent is distributed equally, opportunity is not. So the person that most inspired me is a professor that very early on in my, in my life essentially saw potential in me and decided to take a bet on me. And I think the reason he's inspired me, so all of what's mentioned before, there's the piece around authenticity and there's the, the piece around allow, unlocking potential in the other to allow them to believe in themselves. And I think it really is down to him that today I, I lead a team of people and I do this based on a growth mindset and helping them to unlock their own potential. So this would be my, my professor back in university. Very inspiring. Thank you, Sue. Um, which leads me to the, the next question. So kind of some uh, beginning of answers already uh, popped up, but anyone has an idea of, in your opinion, what makes the difference between a good, between good and great leaderships? Great leadership, sorry. Anyone have uh, some sort of answer to that? I know it's not easy, but we talk a lot about leadership and all the time, but actually what's, what's the, the difference between the two? How do you recognize like a, a great leader? So I, I can I, try. All right, go ahead. Oh, go for it, Raj. Do, do you go ahead. 
So if I attempt, because I was going to say exactly, you can only try to answer such a big question. And if I attempt to answer that question, the thing that comes to my mind and where I've recognized great leaders from good leaders is compassionate leadership. And it's those leaders who are able to take those decisions that are extremely difficult, but then actually doing that from compassion and seeing that all the way through, no, <clears throat> all the way through, no matter how difficult it is to actually see that through. And for me, the, the types of scenarios that would come to my mind is in my time that I was an HR business partner and we would have to shut down certain parts of the business. It was the right thing to do for the business. Uh, but not necessarily, of course, the most pleasant experience from, for, for the people. And the difference was for me really working with those leaders, those that went on and, and delivered the message and did not say, um, uh, this wasn't my decision, this was HR. It was the people who owned the message and saw it through, um, knowing how difficult it was going to be for those people for their personal lives. Thank you, Sue. Anyone else? Raj, you had yeah. some sort of uh, answer. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think Sue made an excellent point about uh, uh, um, you know empathy, um, and I do believe that uh, it's uh, often um, difficult to be kind than to be smart. Uh, it's it's kind of easier to be smart than to be kind, Um you know I I think I think um, um, taking a different dimension. To the question, um, I think uh, leaders that make the vision sound simple are probably those that uh, would would stay on top of my uh, mind. Uh, for example, um, you know when um, uh, Jeff uh, Bezos um, um, brought Kindle um, into our lives um, about ten years ago. And the, um, I mean, people just did not think it was going to work. You know, um, everyone, including senior leaders in the company said, well, everyone likes to read books. They like to smell, you know, the book and, and flip it. How can you just have a handheld device? Um, his vision was, I want uh, people to be able to download any book that's written in any part of the world, in any language within 30 seconds into their handheld device. And that I thought was such a simple vision. Um, you know, of course, you needed great technology to do it, uh, and and of course, internet speed. Um, but uh, I thought, you know, making the vision sound simple uh, for people to understand and then kind of go do things uh, is uh, is a making of a big leader. Thank you. Yeah, Kelly. It's interesting. I was just thinking then that. You know, we can think about some great leaders um, who may not always interestingly be the best people to manage people, whether it be Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, who, you know, are so visionary and doing such amazing things for the human race and, and taking us forward with their innovations. Um, but they're not always good at leading people, which is interesting. So it's kind of like just thinking that through. I was fortunate to work with a couple of um, leadership research kind of gurus if you like who have developed a series of books that corn ferry have now bought their company known as lominger's michael lombardo and robert Eichinger. and over their 20 30 years of research on what makes a good leader and they've developed a lot of books how you actually go from okay to great their 
the key areas that they sort of mention are, you know, great leaders are people are, who are really good at delivering great messages, the communication skills. They have a way of engaging messages that people can understand, probably similar to what Raj was, was sharing as well. Um, so they're very more of that charismatic type leadership. They're people who can motivate others, really bring out the best in a team uh, and can adapt their style in order to bring out the best in different individuals. And they're also leaders who are really good at um, demonstrating composure. So when we go through those tough times and stressful moments, rather than reacting with emotions, they're very composed, rational thoughts, make very quick and fair decisions. And the final one they mentioned is around, they just have that great capability to attract people, that uh, multiplier type effect. So they're good at building teams. Everyone wants to work with them because of their natural energy and their style of how they kind of can demonstrate a lot of that emotional intelligence coming through. Mm, I really resonate with, uh, with what you just said, Kelly, uh, and specifically with uh, inspiration. Um, and uh, some of you worked in big corporation and we noticed that organizations sometimes gets, you know, when they get larger, actually, there, there is a tendency for those organizations to dampen inspiration, actually. And I'm curious to to know um, how do you keep this from happening actually? Um. Um, well, I'll be very happy to take that on. So I, for most of my career, I worked in extremely large businesses and LinkedIn is actually the smallest company that I've ever worked for. This is excluding Microsoft, of course, because otherwise this statement would not hold true. Um, and uh, the difference, if I look at the previous organizations where I would have worked, where we, I would have walked around the building and in, on some of the walls, I would have seen what the culture is and the vision and the mission and so on. And in most of the LinkedIn buildings, you wouldn't come across anything as such. And the reason for that is, is it isn't lip service. It is something, and very it resonated with me what BJ said earlier, is it's because every single one of the individuals um, make up the culture and, and what that, that company is about. So for example, if I look at LinkedIn specifically, something that we do, which I'm extremely proud of, is at LinkedIn, you can only ever start in a network. Because we fundamentally believe in the power of networking and one of our values is relationships matter. So what that means is we get people uh, in probably twice a month and start talking about we spent we fly every single person into an office um, in EMEA that would be in Europe, Middle East and Africa, that would be Dublin. And they spent two full days talking about our culture and our values, because especially as we scale and the business grows, it really does start at that entry point. And then I believe the second thing would be around your leaders and leading from the front. So then you're capturing people at the point at which they entered the organization and, and you tell them you are an ambassador of this culture. You are the culture. And then you make sure that managers are being held accountable to cultivate and to also continuously lead by example. And this is something that I experience on a daily basis here at LinkedIn. Anyone else on the on inspiration? You know, um, Sabrina, um, what Sue said uh, makes tremendous sense. Um, but uh, um, my take is good intentions are not good enough, right? 
uh, oftentimes uh, everyone has good intentions. Nobody has a bad intention, and um, and and good intentions stay like good intentions. And so um, we asked ourselves: so if good intentions are not good enough, what is good enough? Um, and and we said, okay, um, mechanisms. Uh, we use the word mechanisms. And you know, how do you make good intentions work? Uh, is what uh, we call. How do you make things work is, is mechanisms for us. For example, you know, in, when, it, when it comes to uh, customer service, um, we, we took a leaf out of uh, Toyota production system where the concept of and on cards work. So if, if I'm a worker on, on a Toyota manufacturing facility and I know I'm putting a component together which is going to fail at some point in time because I intuitively know that it ain't going to work and and then I let it pass, and then it's going to come back to hurt me at some point in time. Um, so Toyota San uh, basically brought in this system that said you you switch the Anton card on, which means the whole manufacturing facility stops, and everybody around comes in, fixes this, and then moves on, and the manufacturing starts back again. And uh, that's a that's a mechanism, example of a mechanism. And we challenge ourselves in, in Amazon and said, you know, is there something we can do similar to that? On, on the retail side of the business, we don't make anything. So we don't manufacture something. So you don't, you don't know how to use this. But we said, you know, the customer service agent who's, who's taking a telephone call, um, you know, and, and she came and said, you know what? I probably have an answer. And, and she, she, one of them said that, you know, when I when I when when a customer returns an item, oftentimes nine out of ten times, I know even before she speaks the first word to me that the product is going to get returned because I know how uh, the pattern has been with with a few others, and uh, and and she said, if you just let me use the and on card and 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 disable the the buy box, you know, if you've used Amazon. In the, the, the where the rubber meets the road is let me disable the buy box you go fix what needs to get fixed and then we will enable back again and and we said that's that's a great mechanism to use and, and to, to, to sue's point uh, continuing with talking about culture how do you how do you just make sure people can use uh, what they have in their own hands to get culture to work mm-hmm. yeah uh, i totally resonate with that as well uh, i'm a true believer that um, leadership is something that you can develop actually and um, so my next question for you uh, whoever wants to jump in is what you personally or in within your organization do you uh, put in place to actually do grow your people uh, how do they develop is there any particular tools or activities or, or I don't know <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll share a couple of examples. I think <clears throat> touching upon what Raj mentioned earlier, it's the, uh, the mechanisms I use the word rituals. Raj, by the way, I got a new Kindle. Uh, that's good news for you. Uh, <clears throat> Thanks. So <clears throat> one of the things is um, two things. Like one is like, how do you get the, like how do you make people express themselves? Like how do you bring out the full self-expression in whatever way they can? For me, um, 
previously they say the uh, industrial revolution when we were focusing on mass production the second industrial revolution or uh, moving into the third and the fourth previously it was all about people who knew less and there were a few people who knew more uh, either through education or through experience or in various forms and there you you had a you had a different kind of uh, uh, structure hierarchy organization and there were like few people talking a lot and the others just following the orders and moving on but now we are in a situation where um, the world is going uh, everything is going at an exponential pace with the uh, with the uh, explosion of technologies and there are there are a lot of people who know more like when i when i walk into my office like we have 400 uh, colleagues like everyone is extremely good um, and they know a lot each one knows a lot and in this when you have so many people who know more how do you actually create the space for each of those people to express themselves in their in their own unique way while you kind of aligning at a high level for achieving your collective uh, goal or vision so i think for that how do you how do you bring your self expression so my one of one of the tools that i use is like going and discovering uh, talking to my colleagues and discovering more recently i found that one of my colleagues won an academy award uh, for a for a film he made uh, and there there was, there was um, uh, not not a uh, feature film but more of a short film and there, there was a colleague who's a poet and there were several new dimensions that i started discovering and i think it is we need to create more mechanisms uh, to discover more of our own people our colleagues and when when we start understanding and seeing uh, more of themselves then we will know okay this person has so much talent maybe when i'm writing my marketing com communication this colleague is a poet maybe he can give a poetic touch to that uh, marketing document um, maybe there is an advertisement that we are making my uh, colleague who is a filmmaker who won an academy award maybe he can give much better inputs on that video though he's today working on international affairs dealing with uh, someone some high level heads of state so it is it is creating mechanisms to uh, discover and know more about our colleagues and that will also create a, a safe space for people to come and express it through uh, healthy relationship building um, and creating as raj mentioned uh, i think uh, creating those rituals what are some of the rituals where we can help people to express themselves like for example every day morning when i come i just write a quote that's my, my way of starting the day and i don't want everybody else to write a quote and um, start the day but we need to have ways for each person to express it through writing through uh, uh, talking or through any other means because self expression manifests in so many so many different ways and it's our responsibility as leaders to uh, discover and create these spaces within organizations so that uh, we can bring out the best in uh, each one of them um really inspiring yeah yeah go next kelly share a couple of examples having worked with companies who either do it really well and other companies who don't do it so well it's really interesting to see the contrast um and for me working with a company that is known as being like on the growth curve being one of the best places to work in australia in the bay area a lot of it is definitely about the values and it was different to many other companies i've ever worked at where it wasn't just something written on the wall it was something that team members actually would own and challenge and challenge each other in a team meeting saying i don't think you're being the change you seek or you know i don't think you're playing as a team member and it wasn't manager led in any way so seeing how those values have played out um, and definitely referencing vj in terms of how teams collaborate 
um, either whether they're in the same facility in the same workplace or often now teams are distributed and across many different countries and how they're working together which can be a challenge in itself. Um, so I think the values and how values are created, how they're embedded and how they work really are a critical stage I think how well the culture actually is and how open they are in giving feedback. I've worked in some companies where they have a belief that they are providing honest feedback but I can quickly identify that there's definitely not candid feedback. It's not authentic. It's not genuine. They're just tiptoeing around eggshells and not really seeing the truth. And that can obviously lead to ongoing concerns and, and nothing's going to change. Um, but just one other quick, uh, a great tool that I saw developed and used at Atlassian that's definitely on their website for anyone to use, which is a really good way for teams to check in with each other on a regular basis. It's called a team health check. And at Atlassian, they basically do it in any team, project teams, support teams, leadership teams. You get together and it only takes an hour. And it's eight categories. And then Google have created something similar with um, psychological safety being their number one focus. Um, and Atlassian have got something similar with their top eight areas. And they basically split the team up you might have anywhere six, eight, ten. Everyone goes in small groups and they really quickly discuss each one of the eight areas. You know, ones around uh, do we have a balanced team, the right skill sets to deliver what we need to? Do we all have alignment and understanding as to what the success metrics are? Do we think we're working at the pace we need to around velocity? Um, and other ones are around like decision making. Are we really good and capable of making decisions? or is there any one person making it? Sometimes the general manager. And they just threw a thumbs up kind of process. They then identify which ones are the thumbs down, clearly red flags, and then they work on an action plan to say, okay, we've all had a voice, we've all had an opportunity to raise any concerns, really just get it out in the open in a safe place, and then work on it in a really healthy way to then continuously look at improving how teams are working together. And all of those outcomes are kind of escalated up so the whole company can see how, how people are going. So it works really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that uh, speaks high to me, uh, what you just mentioned, Kelly, in the sense that creating space for your teams is really crucial um, to bring the tension that they may have, uh, but also the good stuff uh, just to uh, celebrate when something good happened. Uh, I think it's really important to balance both. Um, and sometimes we, we, most of the time actually, we don't all see that, uh, that space available for collaborators. Um, uh, so there are a lot of uh, good data that are lost in the way, <laughs> which is sad. <laughs> um, Curious to know from uh, some of you, um, what has what has any insight that you've learned this past um, year or few years? Uh, the biggest insight you you've learned as a leader that helped that helped you a lot greatly. Imagine that someone just. Um, take a new leadership position for the first time and needs that uh, insight, what would you say to him or her? Okay, I'll go first. Sure, Vijay. Okay, for me, for me it's, um, it's about um, defining what, uh, what any particular, everything, like you need to define everything for yourself. Either you define or you redefine. 
say for example even now we are discussing between leadership and leaders we are we are moving between leadership and leaders like i'm sure each one of us have our own uh, definition of leadership but somewhere we are assuming that all of us are uh, having a common idea of leadership so it's it's about how do you define and redefine so that everyone has a common language and that for me is my breakthrough insight uh, over the last uh, couple of years because each person comes with their own assumption of everything whatever word i speak i have my own assumption and it's the same for each one of you and how do we bring a common language and for that define and redefine i love that <laughs> thank you you know much like much like what vijay said i think uh, uh, one of one of the key insights i have had is uh, the ability to uh, to move on uh, forget uh, forgive move on and don't don't carry the baggage of uh, your own perceptions of events people or things uh, it's hard to do it's kind of philosophical sometimes uh, and not so much a western leadership orientation uh, if i may just use the word western for lack of any other word um i think often times we get bogged down uh, by our own um perception of things and uh, inability to forgive and and forget um you know where i come from where i hail from there is a very old saying in my native tongue that that loosely translates to this shall also pass meaning thereby you know good times as well as not so good times are not there forever and they pass and then you're back to doing things um that you know you would you would do um in some way or the other and and for me it, it's been about don't don't hold on to grudges Uh, which sometimes are crutches as well mm-hmm. and if i may what i would add to that if someone's starting out and you ask me in reflection what what have i learned um leaders lead people who make up teams and i think oftentimes the mistake we made is that if you lead a team is the assumption that the individuals on that team are are all and the same Now firstly I think with with the general multi-generational generational uh, um, aspect by 2025 75% of the working population is going to be millennials so to be really really clear that the people the individual you have in front of you has different needs at different stages in their life so the second point that that brings me on to is being really clear on how do you flex your style depending on the individual you have in front of you where they are in their career and what it is that they need from you so on my team i would have a very experienced individuals that my my role so it's a conversation around would you like my advice or is this a coaching conversation and there's other individuals who are starting their careers it's much more around they're being voluntold um so something that i found very useful is leveraging a growth mindset which is a book i highly recommend by carol dweck mindset is the title of the book to to really talk about the differentiating factor between are you not able to do something yet and or do do you believe that you can never change your ability to improve in in some area mm-hmm. um so that would be those would be my my highlights if i reflect in in the last couple of years 
I really uh, also appreciate that book from Carol Dweck, uh, which leads to my next question. Perfect transition. Thank you, Sue. Um, um, what, what, which book or actually podcast you would recommend uh, to someone who is looking to, you know, uh, gain insight, uh, know more about um, becoming a great leader or better leader? Um, Vijay? Yeah, sure. For me, it's uh, How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. Uh, so okay. so I, I used to work with Clayton Christensen. He's a professor at Harvard Business School and one of the top uh, thinkers in the world. Uh, it's it, like, finally, it's all about clarifying what uh, our purpose is in, 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 in our lives. And, and then how do, how, how do we help uh, under, uh, others? And how do we then use... Um, the space that we have to create uh, a common purpose for all, all of us. So, so that the individual and the collective, both their needs are, are met. So my, that, that is one book that I would um, strongly recommend for anyone to think about leadership. Cool. Kelly, do you have any book or <clears throat> on other resources that you would recommend to the audience that wants to dive into the topic? Yeah, for me, it would be um, Brene Brown and a lot of her TED Talks on being vulnerable as a leader. Um, every time I listen to her and she's got a lot of material out there, but I think some of her most popular TED talks are just completely inspiring and allow you the opportunity to kind of reflect on your own leadership style and think sometimes you're not going to know everything and that's okay. And, and how do you move forward? And everyone's facing the same sort of challenges and it's a complex world and we're all in it together, but she puts it in such a beautiful articulated message that I would definitely recommend it if you haven't seen that. I think we can all agree with that. <laughs> Raj, any inspiring book for you or other uh, resources? Yeah, there is a, there is a video link that I uh, that I watched about a year ago, and uh, I've been fascinated by it. It's a thirty-minute conversation uh, by one of the uh, top four consulting companies. I forget. Um, it it uh, it goes by the name owner's mindset or founder's mindset and um, it basically talks about i mean the crux of it is this right um growth uh, creates complexity and complexity stops growth so so how do you then make sure that you grow deal with complexity in a way that it doesn't stop growth uh, it's a fascinating video. It's on it's on uh, it's on YouTube. It's either called owner's mindset or founder's mentality. One of those <laughs> those two names. Uh, I was very fascinated listening to it. Great! I didn't know this one. Uh, that's a new uh, things to look at for me. <laughs> and I have I, one final one because I think sure. Gifted the way that I work. Um, this is actually an article by Tony Swartz in Harvard Business Review. It's how to manage your energy, not your time. Because the thing that I realize with leaders is with all of the challenges and all of the big projects, etc., there can be this tendency of let's work more and take on bigger projects and so on and so forth. And there's never going to be more time in a day but there are things you can do to increase your different levels of energy, be it physical, emotional, spiritual, 
um, and focus. And that has really shifted the way that I work in terms of everything that I take on in my personal life and my life at work. So Tony Schwartz, how to manage your energy, not your time. I love that nuance. Um, it's subtle, and so it makes a lot of resonance. <laughs> so let's start with uh, uh, taking some questions from the, the audience. I see we have some. Um, who wants to jump in and start uh, the first question for our panel? Anyone? I can see someone's joined us, Jose, mm. but they're on mute. So we have Kirsten, Nadine, and Jose, who's on mute at the moment. So maybe Kirsten or Nadine. Kirsten, I see that you are on mute. Do you want to start and ask your question? I'm still carried away by the conversation, I think. <laughs> but um, from the notes I made, uh, what stands out to me is something that Raj said. It's not a question. It's more what I think what we need to be more aware of. Um, I like the human approach, you know, to, um, to treat the people you're working with like humans. You know, we, we're all humans in the end. And if we have that approach, like what Kelly said, um, with... Um, you know vulnerability and we realize okay in the end we're all the same you know and and we start to sit in the same boat i i have to saying that i say you know it's one thing in leadership to tell the people what to do the other thing is take a seat in the boat don't tell them how to paddle because that's really cruel just encourage them to reach their shore because everyone is different and um and I think this is something we always need to go back to and uh, be aware of so in fact the leaders um, I had that made me grow and really go beyond my boundaries were in fact those ones who treated me um, very individualistic as a human being. Um, so I think that is the shift we need to create in the leadership we know and will practice today in big corporations. Mm -hmm. That's right, yeah. Attitude um, and uh, showing a, just a human attitude. Uh, mm. uh, it's not something that is easy for everyone within the four walls of work, <laughs> which is kind of weird. You may think and wonder what makes, you know, shift uh, your attitude when you just enter that door. Um, but it's key, yeah, it's one of the key for sure. Nadine, I see that Hi. you are with us, yeah? Yes. <laughs> which question brought you here? Yes, hi from Germany and thank you very much for the very interesting insights here. It was a very um, pleasure on this discussion and um, in Germany we have um, one uh, different uh, opportunity or some difficulty with the word leadership because of our history. So, And in Germany we always discuss about the difference between um, management and leadership. And my question is, do you make a difference between these two words, between management and leadership? And what's for you leadership and what's management? Or is this one thing for you as a leader or as a manager? I can start if you like. Yes. Running or uh, facilitating different leadership development programs <coughs> has uh, been raised a number of times and generated quite lengthy debates 
on it as people try to work through what does it mean and does it make a difference and do we really need to and sometimes it's spiraled so far we're like what is this actually doing now um simply the way often that we would describe it as part of the workshops that i would be delivering is that management was often about just the people practices of managing people in their team whether it being giving the feedback in one-on-ones or managing you know their compliance if they're taking leave etc and the leadership could come from anywhere in an organization and it may be someone in your team reporting to the manager may should be leaders or an expert in a particular area that they have a lot of experience or knowledge in so leadership we sort of viewed at least in my experience um, and the way we sort of delivered it was definitely throughout an organization and the management was just in a daily people management of, of managing a team but others might have a different view. Mm -hmm. Thank you. If, if I were to add uh, to what Kelly just said, um, to me, um, manager is a, is a position uh, that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's conferred on you. And a leader is a mindset uh, mm -hmm. that you do yourself. Um, and if I were to give a very, even more simpler example, a manager, um, you know, catches the fish for you, leader teaches you how to catch it. Nice. Um, let's see, who do we have in uh, the audience? Um, Jose? Jose, you're with us? Yes, yes, I am. Can you hear me? We can hear you, yeah. Great. That's great. <laughs> um, I've been thinking because um, this, this is all very, very, very interesting to me. It resonates with me a lot, what you are all uh, talking about. Um, but the, the question that is really on my mind, um, and I, I'm just going to ask it, it doesn't really matter if anybody has input or not. Um, I am actually on the verge of uh, graduating and um, I'm really looking for a company where I can work around helping businesses to uh, create a more human-centered uh, culture, a culture that is more focused on creating leaders and um, yeah, uh, a place where they uh, focus a little bit more on uh, uh, working in a new way instead of the traditional uh, sense of uh, yeah, corporations that I've been used to. Um, and I'm, I have to say, I'm struggling a bit to find such an organization. I'm, I live in Amsterdam, by the way, so um, I'm, I'm very open to, to travel and to experience working abroad, but I'm just, it's, it's a big pile of uh, businesses that uh, I can't seem to find my way in. So if anybody has an idea of something that comes to mind, I would really love to know. Well, you say the first thing I would say is, so I'm originally from Amsterdam, so I've got a great network there. So let's definitely connect after this conversation. And I'd say the worldwide world is probably one of the best things that ever happened to us, uh, arguably. And <laughs> the power of the worldwide web to research, um, not so much what the organizations are saying on their own pages, but what are the employees saying about the organizations that they work with. Um, so whether that, uh, I'm not going to name any specific networks, but there are definitely 
social networks out there that can be leveraged for the research that you're trying to do. And happy for us to connect and to share some insights into my network in, in Amsterdam or possibly internationally. Anyone else has some uh, advice or insight or suggestion for Jose? I can only talk from my own experience in that work. Uh, and it was interesting because, you know, having a slightly similar passion to yours, wanting to work with leaders and be part of a culture that is evolving and recognizing um, people's value and diversity of thought and everyone being their true selves of work and I find that such a great culture to be part of. I unfortunately didn't always find it in larger businesses. There'd be pockets of it in certain areas but it wasn't always my experience um, even though I enjoyed and I got the best training definitely within larger businesses. Being more selective in working with some smaller growing businesses where I can have a bigger impact and influence that leadership and the development um, and definitely the culture has allowed me to have a lot more exposure to those type of cultures. So that's just for my own world. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to add something, uh, uh, something that Sue actually started to talk about um, for you, Jose. Um, I remember not that long ago when I started, you know, to uh, reflect on, okay, what's next after my own experience at Holacracy One, you know, what should I do? And I simply looked and followed the people I was uh, inspired by uh, and tried to uh, be closer to them. I mean, either they were local uh, or, you know, living uh, abroad um, and tried to connect with that network. Uh, I think as Sue Manson mentioned, um, network is really powerful and we have a tendency to underestimate it. Uh, it's way, at least for me, it worked way more effectively than, you know, just answering some kind of job posting. Um, so use, and I know that I know Amsterdam really well because we have uh, Holacracy community quite big over there and um, you have a lot, tons of meetups and, and progressive uh, ideas over there, so I don't doubt you'll find what you're looking for. <laughs> um, I see that it's uh, an hour that we've been uh, discussing all, all together. Uh, it was really inspiring, uh, good insight, really great insight, um, really interesting to, uh, to just hear, you know, uh, what different people from different areas from the world uh, have has, had to share and uh, see the convergence of it. Um, so thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>